Well, good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Once again, we've got uh, several people who are still sick or traveling. Appreciate everybody being here. Uh, thank you for joining us here this morning. I know we have several that are not here that are watching online, so thank you. We're in the middle of our, pretty much in the middle, of our study this month of the life of Jesus. It's a month, I suppose, the month out of the year when more people think or hear the name of Jesus than any other. And so what we're doing this month here at Lansley Avenue is we are studying the life of Jesus, but in reverse. Last week, we started with the trial of Jesus, where Jesus was put on trial and then crucified. Why? Why was he crucified? Why was he put on trial? Well, during the trial in Mark 14, uh, Jesus was asked this by one of the uh, members of the Sanhedrin. He said, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? So the question is, are you the Messiah? Are you, in fact, the one God has sent to save his people? And the Son of the Blessed, God is the Blessed. So are you the Messiah, the, the Son of God, God has sent here to the earth? Verse 62, Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, and coming with the clouds of heaven. That one statement right there is where Jesus claims in front of the rulers of the people, the Jewish rulers, to be divine. And it's that statement that the chief priests, the rulers of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious authorities of the day, consider to be blasphemy. After all, if someone in here starts claiming to be God, we will certainly think we need to get some help for you. Certainly that would also be blasphemous because no one in this building is God. Jesus is the only person in all of history who would walk and talk like any of us where that statement is not blasphemy. But the Jewish leaders don't believe it in spite of all the things Jesus did. And they consider this blasphemy and Jewish law said someone that made themselves equal with God was worthy of death. That is the primary cause for which Jesus was crucified. The question, however, is, is it true? That's the important question. The Jewish leaders don't investigate whether Jesus' statement is true. They simply take the statement, assume there's no way it can be true. After all, we would make that same assumption here today. But Jesus is not one of us. So is Jesus' statement to be divine true? Well, as we are backing up in time, remember, we're studying the life of Jesus going backward. The high point, if you will, of the life and the time Jesus is here on the earth, sometimes people will think of it as the crucifixion, but the crucifixion is talked about incredibly important, don't get me wrong, but it's pointed to throughout the life of Jesus. Over and over again, Jesus said he was going to be delivered over to the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests, and he would suffer and die and be raised from the dead. That was coming. The high point, in many ways, is back a couple of chapters. So this high point I want us to look at today, we call it the transfiguration. I think that's the important aspect of where Jesus' divinity is established. And it is established in a conclusive way that has not been done for anyone else. The scripture reading that Howell read this morning is from 2 Peter chapter 1. This is the Apostle Peter writing a number of years later, and he's talking about and remembering the 
the event we're going to study today. Here's what he says. He's talking to people that have been many years since the time of Jesus, and he's saying, look, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. We're not following made-up stories. Now, some of my favorite stories are the Lord of the Rings, you know, where you've got the hobbits and you've got Aragorn and all this. I mean, there's a ton of detail. The kings of Numenor and, uh, you know, uh, Mordor, all this stuff in there, but it's all fake. As much as I love it, as much as I've met people that can tell me all sorts of details that having read the books a number of times, I can't remember, it's fake. And so it's a myth. It's a cleverly devised tale, very clever. Peter says this story you hear about the life of Jesus, what we talk and tell you about the life of Jesus is not made up. It's real. And he says, by the way, we talking about Peter, and it'll also be Peter, James, and John. There were three of them that are in this event that we'll talk about here in a minute. He says, we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are not myths. We were, look at his phrase here, eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter, James, and John had their eyeballs on an event that beyond any real shadow of any kind of doubt, Established Jesus is not like anyone else that's ever walked on the earth. What is this event where they were eyewitnesses of Jesus' majesty, of his divinity, if you will? Peter continues. For when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory by God himself, saying, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. They saw his majesty, they were eyewitnesses, they saw this, and they heard a voice, I'm, I'm sure booming, out of the sky, that would shake you right to your sandals or your shoes, saying, this is my Son. Other records of that event in Matthew and Luke, Say, hear him, pay attention to him. And I'm sure they did. All of us would hearing some kind of booming voice like that. But what's the detail behind this transfiguration? Go back with me and let's look at where that event happened. Peter's remembering it right here. Let's go back and look at that event. In Matthew 16, which is the chapter before the transfiguration... Jesus had asked his disciples the question, who do people say that I am? And they had answered, some people say Elijah, some John the Baptist, some say the prophet. And Jesus then said, well, who do you say I am? And that's the time where Peter, remember Peter's the one who's remembering this event. Peter had said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are, in fact, the one God has sent into history you are the Son of God, and Jesus says, you, have, you are correct. You, you, you have seen this. It's not been revealed to you. God revealed it to you. That's in Matthew 16. It's in the next chapter where this is confirmed to Peter, James, and John with what we call the transfiguration. Look how the chapter ends, Matthew 16, where Peter had made this statement, where Jesus had asked this question. In verse 28, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. 
Son of man is a phrase that's used for Jesus. It's used for the Messiah. Now, either this happened a few years after this statement, at least, or we got some really old people wandering around on earth somewhere. We should hunt for them. Because from all I can tell, if this is really talking about Jesus coming back to the earth and ruling as a king physically, I don't know where he is if he's back here on the earth physically, Jesus. So that's probably not what this is talking about. History tells us Peter, James, and John are all dead. So what's Jesus talking about? I think that's the event in the next chapter. It's called the transfiguration. What is transfiguration? Well, sometimes people want to use the word transformation, right? And all three of you, I know, know the transformers. To an extent, that's not what we're talking about. Right? Uh, who's the yellow car guy? Bumblebee. All right, Bumblebee. Bumblebee, because he looks like a yellow bumblebee. You know, he, he looks like a car, and all of a sudden he moves around, and you want to run for it, because like, what on earth is happening? And all of a sudden, here's this giant mechanical man kind of thing, the transformer. But nothing changed about him, just rearranged stuff, right? He was always this transformer, just looking like a car, and now he looks like this hopefully friendly big guy. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can look up Transformers when you get home. That's not what happens here. So Transformer is not what Jesus is about to uh, appear as. He's not transforming as much as being transfigured. And that's an odd word because we don't, we don't use that word. It's a word trying to describe something that has never happened before and never happens again. So a unique event, how do you how do you describe something that you've never seen before and never happens again? Transfiguration, transfigured, changed is how it gets done. So when you look at this, Matthew 17, six days after they had had this question, who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? And after Jesus said, some are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Six days later, Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John, James' brother, uh, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Remember Jesus has said, some are here that will not taste death? I think these three are that. Some, Peter, James, and John. So they go up to a high mountain. Jesus often went up to a high mountain to pray, get away from all of the hustle and bustle, as it were. It's not a bad idea for all of us to try to find some place that's full of peace and quiet to pray as well. Luke 9 actually tells us that when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to this mountain, it really was to pray. It really was to pray. And it says that as Jesus was praying, this event takes place. Matthew 17, verse 2. Luke says, as he was praying, Matthew says, he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. I don't know about you, but I would be white as light right there because I'd be laying on the ground. I'd be scared silly seeing something like that. I mean, you know, I mean, you know how scared the people are in the Transformers movies when people start moving around and turning his wheel turns out to be his back ear or whatever it is. I mean, all kinds of weird stuff happens. This is bizarre. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Luke actually says his clothes were whiter than any bleach could get them. If you're working on clothes, you got something you sometimes you put bleach on. Ooh, 
that stuff's white. This is whiter than anything you could ever bleach. His clothes, his face, everything is just, wow, this has never happened before. And Peter, James, and John are like, wait, how would you be if something like that happened? Mark 9, 2 and 3 says he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant, giving off the light, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. It was Mark, not Luke. And then Luke 9, the appearance of his face was altered, different, changed, and his clothing became dazzling white, transfigured. Okay, we could say transformed, but don't think of the transformers. Changed. He is different. So what was this? Jesus takes them up to the mountain and all of a sudden, he's different. He has been transfigured. His face is shining. His clothes are beaming. What on earth is going on here? Well, I really think this is when the reality of Jesus as God, Jesus being divine, breaks through his human and divine nature. Jesus is fully man and fully God. In this instant, the Peter, James, and John get a, an insight, get visibility to the eternal reality of God that is also Jesus. Why is it light? Why is it bright? We'll look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. We are told God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. I've always thought that this is the time where we have a record of where Jesus' eternal, if you will, reality breaks into our pretend, in some ways, reality. It's the moment when this eternal substance of God the Son broke through into the physical Jesus walking our world. Now, this is opinion time, so take it for what it's worth. If you're trying to imagine this thing, what picture can you use? It's a light brighter than the sun, right? And his, his clothes look like bleach, could never make them. It's like, whoo. Well, to me, my imagination suggests something like that. It's too bright for Max. Now, a few years ago, what was it, 2017, Nashville was in the path of the total eclipse. You remember when that came? Unfortunately, between here and, and the Hundred Oaks area, it had a cloud over it the whole time. So the kids gathered at the Adventure Science Center didn't get to see any of it. Where we were, it had about 10 seconds where it was not in the cloud. But you remember, it got darker and darker. And if you were able at the time to see the sun, it was dark. All the, just these little orangey things around the edges, right? Prominences or the corona shining around it. But I, I'm really glad we got to see the last 10 seconds because I remember staring up at it and all of a sudden the moon finally just ever so slightly moved aside and the sunlight came around this corner just like that. I could not believe because I, in my mind, scientifically, I'm thinking, you know, this is an ever so tiny sliver of the sun being shown and I stared at it for about a half second and I couldn't stare at it anymore. Even that tiniest little sliver of the sun was so bright it felt like it was going to burn my eyeballs. Something like that. Okay? Because that was the reality of the sun in the center of the solar system peering around the edge of the moon and I couldn't stand it. Well, I've wondered if that is actually something similar to how the disciples felt when out of Jesus' own flesh and his clothing, light that is God 
whatever that means, shine into our universe. Imagine if Jesus' face, hands, and arms looked like that end of the solar eclipse, or more than that, right? So when I think of the transfiguration, I always think of the eclipse. I know that's a physical phenomenon and all that kind of stuff, but I don't have any other way to imagine it. And you can imagine these guys would have to be covering their faces. They were stunned because who can possibly be around the reality of God in our world and not be changed by it? So if you need some way to think about what is this transfiguration, that's my suggestion. I don't have anything better than I've ever been able to come up with. But look what happens. This voice was still speaking. This is my beloved son. And we're also told, hear him. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Wouldn't you? Voices don't usually speak out of the sky. They don't usually speak about an individual that's shining brighter than the sun and has changed. But look at the compassion of Jesus. Jesus came forward and touched them, saying, Rise up, don't be afraid. It's okay. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. Saw no one but Jesus. He had been transfigured, changed. Peter, James, and John are the only three people who had ever lived who saw that. That's the event Peter is remembering that Howell read for us earlier over in 2 Peter chapter 1. It's the cloud that I also find interesting. Remember, look back here. There was a cloud overshadowed them and a voice out of the cloud. The cloud was important because God's presence is associated with the cloud. Moses was in the cloud on Mount Sinai when the law was revealed to him. And he came down. You may remember his face was still kind of shiny. He had been near the presence of God. It was in the cloud that God came and resided in the tabernacle before the temple was built. It was the cloud which went through the temple and was around the temple when it was dedicated after Solomon built it. And it was always the dream of the Jewish people that the cloud of God's presence would return to the temple when Messiah came. When Messiah was coming, the Jewish people had been looking for the Messiah to kick the Romans out. It was always their hope and dream that the cloud representing God's presence would come back to the temple because it had been gone for so very, very long. Well, the descent of the cloud on this mountain where Jesus, Peter, James, and John are located, that really is a way of saying Messiah had come. And that's Jesus. Any Jewish person that ever heard that and heard about the cloud coming down would immediately think Messiah because that's what they've been hearing ever since they were, you know, knee-high, bouncing on Daddy's knee. In front of Peter, James, and John, this eternal reality of the divine Jesus broke through. Moses and Elijah were there. Moses was the supreme lawgiver. He had received the presence of uh, the law of God directly on the mountain. Elijah was the first and the greatest of the prophets. When the Jewish people thought about their big heroes, as it were, Moses and Elijah would have been them. And they're there around Jesus talking about the things to come. But when the disciples finally are tapped on the shoulder by Jesus, the only one left is Jesus. As great as Moses and Elijah were, Jesus is the one God wants us to listen to. These two men noticed They're not dead. 
Think about that for a minute. Moses, his body was buried on a hill somewhere, right? On a mountain. And no one knew where it was. Elijah had died to an extent. He had been taken up in the fiery chariot. Presumably he's changed somehow or other, but they're not dead at the time of Jesus. For Elijah, that's roughly 800 years after he had been taken up. Moses, maybe 1,400 years later, they're not dead. You and I, even though our body will at some point be put in the grave, the body will be dead, but as strange as it sounds, we won't be dead. The body will be dead, but we won't be. And that's kind of a side little thing that we're told here when Jesus is on this holy mountain. These two men see in Jesus all that the Jewish history had ever hoped for. Moses had said God would raise up a prophet like Moses who would tell them everything they needed to know. Elijah had been saying all along that you know, God has a plan for his people. That plan is, in fact, Jesus. So in front of Peter, James, and John, Jesus is the focal point of history. What is this focal point? What is this high point? The reality of what we say as incarnation. God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And it's that reality, God walking in the form of Jesus, that's really the reason why Jesus is put on trial. That's the reason why Jesus dies. That's the reason we have hope when God raises him from the dead. Because God came in the form of Jesus, lived a perfect life, died because of us not living a perfect life. And that God raised him from the dead. That transfiguration shows why he is in fact God. This moment did something to the disciples. They heard God's voice acknowledging Jesus as his son. How do you ever forget that? They've seen Jesus change, but they hear the voice, this is my son. They heard God speak that Jesus was his son. And it made them in a special sense, as Peter says, special witnesses to this glory, this transformation of Jesus. The time on the mountain had shown them the glory of God, and this glory they hid in their hearts until it was time to tell them. Peter's telling it, even still, many, many years later. So what was this? It's the high point of the gospel. It really is. Some people will say that the resurrection of Lazarus is kind of the the, the high point of the story of Jesus' life. Some people will say Matthew 16, when Jesus said, who do men say that I am, is a high point. It's really this, because this is so totally different from anything else in history. There's no doubt to Peter, James, and John that Jesus is God, and Jesus is not some ordinary, anyway person. It's visual proof, as I say, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, God seeking the lost to save them and us. We are not following cleverly devised tales. We're not here today because of some fancy story talking about elves and dwarves and all kinds of other stuff. As entertaining as it is, this is a story that has eyewitnesses who saw the reality of the divine Jesus <coughs> on that so Jesus was transfigured, again, transformed, changed. Here's the good news. He can transform you and me. 
whatever has been in your past can stay in the past. And you can have a future in many ways every bit as bright as Jesus was on that mountain. Because God will forgive your past as we change for the future and become a member of his family. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, please fix that today. Please become a member of his family. Change your life. Live for him. Leave the dark behind and turn to the light. Confess his name that he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And die in your old ways in these waters of baptism here behind me and be raised to walk a brand new person. If you're a member of his family and you're just having a really hard time, you need to either have prayers for encouragement or prayers for forgiveness. God wants his people to come to him. This is your opportunity this morning. Please take it as together we stand and sing.